Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. The title of my message this morning is When God Crushes Your Dreams. It's going to be a great message this morning, When God Crushes Your, your Dreams. And if you've been with us uh, for the past four months, you know that we've been in the book of Genesis. And this morning, uh, after today, we're going to take a little break from Genesis as we enter into the holiday season. But also this morning, as we're also entering into a little mini-series that's going to be called When God. This morning, it's When God Crushes Your Dreams. Next, week's, next week, I'm planning to preach on When God, when God Doesn't Show Up. And the last week, I'm planning to preach on When God Doesn't Make Sense. And um, after that, just so you'll know where we're headed, January, I'm sorry, December 22nd, that's the week of Christmas. We're going to be meeting once again with Westwood Baptist Church. We'll be meeting over there. Pastor Terry is going to be delivering a message that is going to just change your life and, uh, and your holiday season. Um, and then I'm looking forward to January, uh, Lord willing that we're all here. We have plans to do what we did last year, and that is to have a testimonial Sunday. We already have uh, members within our church body who we've talked to that uh, are willing to share their testimonies of what Christ has done in their life. Last year, that, that's probably one of the most uh, powerful things that God did through our church is to show how he's changed lives. And so we're looking forward to doing that again in January. But this morning, as we're getting into Genesis chapter 22, I want you to, I want to ask you this question. Do you love God? I want, you to, I want to ask you to, to think about that. Do you love God? Now, you might be, this morning, you might be very clearly, no, I do not love God. Actually, I can't stand him. That might be your response. But maybe your response is, yes, I do love God. But let me go a little bit further, and that's in this question here. Do you love God for who he is or for who you want him to be? Does that make sense? Do you love him for who he actually is or who you want him to be? Now, whenever I'm doing premarital counseling, we're talking to someone that's dating. One of the questions I will ask them is this. Do you love this person right now as they are, or are you, do you have plans that later you're going to change that person? Listen, do not ever go into a relationship thinking, you know what, I'm going to change that about that person because ultimately change comes when God changes someone. And you can't go into a relationship that way. And it's, that's the same thing with God. When we enter into a relationship with him, we can't go into it thinking we're going to change him. Number one, because he's perfect, right? He's not the one that needs to change, for one thing, right? We are. Uh, secondly, uh, there isn't a secondly. We should not go into the relationship thinking that we're going to change God. And this morning, God, uh, God in our text is going to test Abraham. He's going he's gonna to test him to see if Abraham truly loves him for who he is above all things. So the big idea, I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down, and that is that God tests his people. God tests his people. And we're going to be in Genesis, like I said, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, and we're going to pick up with verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, 
And he said, here I am. Now, it's important to note that this is the seventh time that God has come to Abraham. This is the seventh and final recorded time that, that God has appeared to Abraham. And if you've been with us throughout the study, you'll remember that four months ago when we first got into it, that uh, when we came to Abraham, we met him when he was 75 years old. And he obeyed God, and he left his homeland, he left his family, because God had promised him three things. He had promised him land, he had promised him descendants, and he had promised him a great name. Isn't that what we're, what we're all after? You know, wouldn't you like some land? Wouldn't you like some descendants? Maybe not. I wish you did. But wouldn't you like descendants? Don't you want to have a great name? God said, look, walk by faith, and I'm going to give you that. And during that time... Uh, I hope that as we've been going through the life of Abraham that you've been encouraged because we've seen that Abraham has had to learn. He's had to learn to walk by faith. It didn't just happen. It's been a process. We've seen him at his best. We have seen him at his worst. And it, it teaches us, and this is what we need to learn from it. One of the things we need to learn from Abraham is that maturity doesn't happen overnight. So we need to be patient with one another as we're all maturing, and we also need to have some patience with ourselves um, and as we are growing in maturity. This should be something that encourages you. And 25, it took 25 years for God to finally fulfill his promise to Abraham. It says that after these things, that's what I, what I just shared, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, what does that mean that God tested him? If you're in high school or college, uh, you know what that means. You, you've, uh, you've been going to school, hopefully, and attending the classes, right? And it's, it's interesting that the word, uh, the Hebrew word for testing is nisa, which means to give experience, to train, or to put someone to the test. So if you've been going to class, your school should have been giving you an experience, they should have been training you, and now, as we enter into the holiday seasons, final exams, you're going to get tested to see what's on, if it got in here, so you can bring it out here. And you know what? That's what's happening with Abraham. Um, it's been 40 to 50 years now where we're at today, and God is giving Abraham his final exam, his final test. And if you're a follower of Christ, let me tell you what's on that final exam, okay? You might want to write this down. This will be on your test, okay? Have you ever had a professor go, this will be on your test? All right, here it comes. This will be on your test. Trials, temptations, and confusing circumstances. I guarantee you, study for this, you're going to have Trials, temptations, and confusing circumstances. Now, when I say temptations, I want to talk about that for just a second. James, are you saying that God's going to tempt you? Like he's going to cause you to, to sin. He wants to cause you to sin. Well, we know that in James 1.13, it says that when you're tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt Anyone. He goes on to say it's, it's actually, when, you're, when you fall because of temptation, it's because of your, the evil desires that were already in you. 
God is not tempting us in a way that he's like, man, I want to cause them to slip up and fall. That is not what God is doing. On the contrary, he's using these experiences, he's using these temptations, these trials for our good. He's wanting to accomplish at least two things. One of them is this. uh, Tests, they cause us to exercise our faith. uh, Tests cause us to exercise our faith. Have you ever heard the, the, the uh, saying, use it or, okay, you have, use it or lose it. It's kind of like, you know, the uh, head of a large format printer. You know what I'm talking about? No, you don't, but I've got a picture of what that is. Uh, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. That's, see that right there, that print, not the frog, but the thing that's, that's printing that I knew some of you were going to think, the frog is a lot. Okay, so it's, that's a banner right there. Now, I used to own a print shop, that, and I had a machine like this. Large format. The, the banner that's outside of our, our building here was printed on that. All our core descriptors are printed on a large format printer. But you know what? One of the things about a printer like that is that it must be run on a regular basis. Otherwise, it will get clogged up, and the images will not be crisp and clear. It has to be used regularly. In the same way, if we don't exercise our faith on a regular basis, we will get clogged up and won't be sharp and clear. So that is what God is. He gives us trials or tests so that it will force his children to exercise their faith. Secondly, tests reveal your faith. Tests reveal our faith or our lack of. That's what tests are there for. Now, how many of you guys have ever bought a four-wheel drive vehicle? Okay. How do you know if that, when you're buying it, how do you know if it works, if it's sitting on the flat ground? You don't. So every time I buy a four-wheel drive truck, and I've done that several times in the past, what I'll do is I will go to a place where a two-wheel drive vehicle cannot go. And I will put that thing in a position that causes it to be tested, whether or not it's going to engage. Now, I, don't, I can't look inside of it and take it apart. I have to do an outside test to show what's going on in the inside. And that's what God does with, the, he te- with his tests. He wants to see what's on the inside. And actually, he knows what's on the inside. So who is the test really for? It's for us. It's to show us what is going on inside. And that's what's going to happen in our passage this morning. God is going to test Abraham. He's going to test his love to see if he will trust him and obey him fully. So let's pick up in verse 2. So God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. As one of the, um, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What in the world? This is, this is confusing, isn't it? This is a confusing circumstance. What is God doing? He says, take, look what he says. He says, take your son, your only son, your only son. What about Ishmael? Wasn't Ishmael one of his sons? Well, he was, but Ishmael represents He's called the son of the flesh. He represents what humans can do and do apart from walking in faith. 
through human striving, what man can accomplish outside of faith. Remember, Sarah and Hagar and Abraham, they didn't do it in faith. And God does not acknowledge those things that are not done in faith. So I think on one hand, that's what God is saying here. Secondly, Isaac, on the other hand, he was, he was the son of promise. He was the son of faith. He is what God accomplishes through his people when they walk by faith. It is something that only can, be, can happen if God shows up and does it. And so in God's eyes, he's saying that's, that's your only son because he came through faith. Not only that, but Isaac, I believe, was Abraham's heart. He was Abraham's future. He was Abraham's dream. Everything was wrapped up in him, all the promises that God had given him. Isaac was the miracle child that God had given to Abraham. And he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. He's being very clear here. He's making sure that we understand what's going on here. This is the first time in Genesis that the word love is used. And it's interesting that it's between a father and his son. The love of a father and his son. And um, so, so God is making it clear that this is Abraham's prized possession. And he says, take him and sacrifice him to me. Now, again, that doesn't make sense because God had promised Abraham that it was going to be through Isaac that the covenant would be fulfilled. That, in other words, that Isaac's going to grow up and have kids. He's going to have descendants. And so God commands Abraham to do something that doesn't make sense, to offer his son as a sacrifice. Now, I want to, just as a side note here, God is not instituting human sacrifice here. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 12 and 18, he later condemns it. Remember, this is a test. And if you know the passage, you know that Abraham's not going to actually, uh, God's not going to require that of him. But it is important to note here that God is testing Abraham's love. What will he do? And it's clear that God is taking his dream and beginning to crush it. Now, let me ask you this. This uh, Isaac was Abraham's joy and pride. Let me ask you this. Who or what is your Isaac in your life? I want you to think about that right now. What, what is your Isaac in your life? What do you love? What do you cherish in life? What would you lay your life down for in this world? It might be your family. It might be your health. It might be your a career. It could be a friend. Man, I'm a, I would lay my life down for that person. It, it could even be a ministry, a way that you serve God. Man, I, I'm going to lay my life down and serve the Lord. What is your Isaac? Do you, and here's another question. Do you love that Isaac more than you love God? In other words, is there anything in your life that's off limits to God that you are not willing to offer and sacrifice to God? That's a question that a, a disciple of Jesus needs to be asking on a regular basis. And actually, God will test us on this. 
from time to time to help us to see where we're at. And you know, it's easy. Isn't it easy to offer something to God um, if it doesn't mean much to you? It's kind of like when you give to charity. When you give to goodwill, you go in your closet. Man, I got a lot of stuff in here that I don't need, that I'm not wearing. What do you do? You take it down, clean out your closet, and you take it to Goodwill, and we get a tax write-off. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it doesn't really cost you anything. It's like they're actually doing you a service to come over and get that couch. You know, that couch that you didn't want, but it's still usable. It's not a sacrifice until it costs you something. It's not a sacrifice until it touches your heart. David, King David said in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. A sacrifice isn't a sacrifice unless it costs you something. And, and the truth is we all have Isaacs. We all have Isaacs in our lives. We all have dreams. We all have desires within us. Now, I'm not talking about Ishmael's, okay? These aren't bad things that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Ishmael's that are uh, desires of the flesh that, that we need to put away. As Abraham put away Ishmael, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Isaacs. These are good and pure and godly things that are in our life. They're, they're good dreams. They're good desires. They're good plans. Uh, for example, you've been, let's just say you've been working really hard. You've been through a busy season, and you're tired. You need a Sabbath. Sabbaths are good, right? God says, take a Sabbath, and this weekend is coming up, and finally, you're going to get a Sabbath. And you cherish that. You love that. You're going to get up in the morning, and you're going to read the Word of God. You're going to pray and just, uh, you know, unwind. And then... Your child comes in the room and says, hey, Jacob just fell off the bed and he broke his arm. Where are you going that morning? You're going to the emergency room. God has crushed your dream. Or maybe <laughs> by crushing his arm. Yeah, so. Or how about, you know, you have this godly desire to have a family, Right? You, you have a God, maybe you have a godly desire to have a spouse. And we all know people that were like, that would be the most awesome spouse to have, right? And, and it's like, why has God not given them someone? Or, or you want to have children and God's saying, no, you can't have children. And we're thinking, of all the unwanted pregnancies, this, this, this family would be awesome at having children. That's an Isaac. It's a good thing. But God says no. Or maybe... You've said, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to stand in the truth. I'm going to walk in righteousness. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's on a, a team that you're playing on. And I'm going to walk in righteousness. But as you do, it costs you that promotion because you're not going to fudge your numbers. It costs you popularity because you're not going to do whatever that cool thing is that is forbidden by God. Those are our Isaacs. They're good things. But God says, no. I'm going to crush your dream. And there's three ways that he does that. Number one, he could take it away. Sometimes he just takes things away from you. You give and take away, right? Number two, he may not allow it to happen, whatever it is that you're wanting to happen. And number three, and that's what's happening in this passage, number three is this. He says here, you must take it 
and sacrifice it. And that one is the one that can be the ultimate test because God gives you the option. What are you going to do? And so Abraham in our passage, he's at this fork in the road. And before we get into verse 3, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, what was that night like before Abraham gets up the next morning? How much sleep did Abraham get that night? I bet his bed felt like it was full of rocks and that his mind was racing. I bet he had to wrestle with God. And you know what? I, I don't want us to miss that. Abraham was human. We've seen that throughout this whole time that we've been in uh, this passage of Genesis. He's human, just like us. He's no different than you. He loved Isaac. And God's telling him to do something that he does not want to do. And this is where we need to understand that faith and obedience don't just happen. Faith and obedience don't just happen because in order for faith and obedience to work together, unbelief and doubt must die. And that can be painful. But it's also, we need to understand this is a lifelong process that we're going to have to deal with on a regular basis if we're going to continue to follow Jesus faithfully. So I want to ask this. I don't want us just to go, well, he just wrestled. How did he wrestle? I think Scripture helps us to see this in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, this is where Scripture interprets Scripture. And it says that, um, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He's, this one verse has just summarized everything that's been going on up to this point. Now, verse 19, this is how he did it. This is how he walked in faith. It says that he considered that God was able, period. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What is Abraham, the father of faith, teaching us here? He's teaching us to use your mind. Faith involves your mind. I don't think that God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And he said, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. Let's go. I don't believe that's what happened. It says that he considered God. He considered God. He didn't consider the situation as much as he considered God, who is able. He renewed his mind by considering who God is, what God can do, what God has done. I think I wasn't there, but I think his prayer would have been something like, God, you created the heavens and the earth. That means there's nothing you cannot do. There's nothing impossible for you, God. And God, I've seen you work in my, my, my life already in the past. Look at Isaac. Why is he even here? Because you're the God of impossibilities. It's impossible for a 100-year-old man to have a baby and his wife who's 90. But you can do the impossible. And I know your character that you cannot lie. 
And because you cannot lie, I can trust you because you told me that Isaac is going to have children one day. So since you're God Almighty and there's nothing impossible for you, I know that you can raise him from the dead. So, boom, that's faith. I trust you. And he rested. It says that he rested in that. Abraham, and listen, there comes a point, church, where you got to take the information that's been given to you and not let it just sit there. you got to pick up those weights, and we've got to exercise the truths that we know. This is not easy, especially when these, the, the forces of doubt and darkness are upon us. That's when you've got to really exercise your faith and fight through the unbelief because on the other side of that, that's where rest comes. That's where hope comes. And I believe that Abraham is is an example of someone who had to exercise his faith when God had asked him to give him the thing that was the most valuable to him. That's just verses 1 and 2. Okay, we got 19 verses here, but we're going to move a little bit faster here, all right? So verse 3, it says that Abraham, the next morning, rose early. Okay, he didn't wait. Faith causes you to respond immediately. He got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here. I want you to listen to this. He said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Do you see Abraham speaking from faith? He's saying, we're going to go over there. I'm going to sacrifice. He doesn't say I'm going to sacrifice. He doesn't tell them I'm going to sacrifice my son, but we're going to both come back. He's already walking in faith, he believes God. Verse 6 says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. So Isaac is carrying on, probably on his back, the wood that's going to, that he's going to be offered on. And Abraham, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. That's, that's important just to note here. He took the fire and the knife. This is showing that he has the intention to obey He's not going to get up there and go, oh, man, I can't do it. He is going to obey his God. So they, they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? This is getting awkward, isn't it? Can you imagine? Um. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Again, this is faith. Abraham doesn't know what God's about to do. We know what's, what most of us know what's, what's about to happen here. But Abraham doesn't know. But he knows his God, and he knows that his God is going to provide in a way that he cannot see. That is faith. So they went, both of them, together. They walked in agreement Together, And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, it's important to understand here what's going on here because um, Isaac, how old is Isaac here? 
Uh, scholars will range from 13 years old all the way up to 30-something. Um, I think he's probably around 15, and um, that's because it's, it had been 40 years when all this from start to finish, but I'm not going to build a doctrine or a church on top of that. But the point that I want to make here is that Isaac was big enough to run away. You know, his dad is 100 years old. No, 110, 15 now. Now, Okay, I'm not going to get in. Okay, so, so I saw a YouTube video where these 100-year-old people were running. This dude was fast, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. Man, why not do that? So Isaac could have run away, okay? But he didn't. This shows that he is going to submit to what his father tells him. He is submitting to the will of his father. Somehow, Abraham shared with him, what God had told him, and Isaac was a man of faith, and he trusted his dad. So he willingly submits himself. Verse 10 says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For this is this is the reward, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In other words, Abraham passed the test. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loved God more than he loved anything in this world. In verse 13, it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of, of his son. You see that? He offered the ram in Isaac's place. Verse 14 says, So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And verse 15 says, And the, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and, and, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of, of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And in verse 19, so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And it says, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. What do you think it felt like to be Abraham now? He's alive, isn't he? He is alive because he knows that he passed the test. And you know, as I said before, God tests his people. God has been testing you and you and you and you this past week. He's given us trials. He's given us temptations. He's allowed us to be into to confusing circumstances. But let me ask you this. Did you see that? Did you see them as tests? 
or were they just random inconveniences in your life? God tests his people. What kind of grade are you making? Because it's either it's a pass or fail. You either believe or you don't. And Abraham passed his exam. And we can too if we will consider this passage. If we'll consider that Isaac is actually meant to point us to the greater Isaac. The greater Isaac whose name is Jesus. Because just as Abraham took his son, his only son, God the Father sent his son, his only begotten son, to be, cru- to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And just as Isaac took up the wood on his back, Jesus took the wooden cross upon his back. Isaac carried his to Mount Moriah. And what's interesting to know is that Jesus carried his cross to that same mountain, to the same place, and was crucified there. And just as Isaac fully submitted to his father's will and obeyed and willingly laid upon the altar, Jesus, it says that he fully obeyed his father. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I love this ram. Remember when Isaac said, where is the lamb? And, and we, at the end, we see that there's a ram caught with his head in the, the thicket. That reminds us of how Jesus took the crown of thorns upon his head. But it's interesting to note that that word ram can also be translated as mighty ruler. Mighty ruler. In other words, the mighty ruler was slain instead of Isaac. The mighty ruler took his place. And the mighty ruler, Jesus, has taken our place. This is a clear, one of the clearest pictures of God's love for us, for his people. That happened hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. But here's where this whole account, there's a significant difference. It says that Abraham lifted up the knife and that God stopped him. This is where it's different. When God raised his knife, he didn't stop. He went straight through and he sacrificed his Isaac. God did what he commanded Abraham to do, and that is he sacrificed his heart, his most precious possession, as it were, his son, Jesus. And the question we need to ask ourselves as we're considering God is why? Why did he do that? It's because God is after something, and it's not our Isaacs. It's really not our Isaacs that he's after. He's after our hearts. He's after us. And the way that he wins us is by showing that he loves us. And the way he shows us that he loves us is that he showed us that I gave what I love the most to bring you back to me. That is the gospel. That is the picture that this passage is meant to remind us of. And this morning, I want to ask you again, who or what are your Isaacs? Where are they? Are they locked deep down inside of your heart? Do you, are you like clinging to them with white knuckles? Are you saying, God, you've got to let me have this if I'm going to love and obey you? Or 
Are you willing to trust him? One of the things that we need to do that I, that I try to practice in the mornings if God gives me, as God gives me another day is to bow before him and say, Lord, this day is yours. I am not my own. I offer myself to you because you offered your son for me. Give me the spirit to see when you're testing me and the faith to trust you that I might love and obey you. How is God dealing with you this morning? I don't know, but he does and you do. And I want to encourage you this morning that you would take a step however he's leading you in obedience, knowing that in the end, he will be glorified and you and others will be blessed. Amen? Amen.